Hello, this is Dr. Peng Xianqian, the Editor-in-Chief of Harvardism. I'm summarizing the May 2022 issue of the journal. The first article is Dexmedetomidine versus Propofol for Operator-Directed Nurse-Administered Procedural Sedation During Castor Ablation Vitreal Fibrillation, a Randomized Control Study. The authors randomized 160 consecutive patients undergoing first AF ablation to dexmedetomidine versus propofol. They found that the efficacy of operator-directed nurse-administered station with dexmedetomidine was not different from that with propofol. Hypercapnia occurs less frequently with dexmedetomidine, but patient satisfaction is better with propofol sedation. In selected patients, dexmedetomidine may be used as an alternative to propofol for operator-directed nurse-administered sedation during atrial fibrillation ablation. Next up is sinus node exit, crystal terminalis conduction, interatrial conduction, and wavefront collision, key features of human atrial activation in sinus rhythm. 50 consecutive patients undergoing castor ablation or atrial fibrillation with endocardial atrial voltage of greater than 0.5 millivolt during high-density three-dimensional mapping were studied. The authors found that sinus node exits varied among patients along a lateral oblique arc extending from the anterior aspect of the superior vena cava to the mid-posterior wall of the right atrium. Conduction slowing or block at one of the smooth components that faces the crystal terminalis was observed in 54% of cases, including complete block at the superior vena cava musculature and the systemic venous sinus, uh, venous sinus in 6% of the cases. The authors conclude that during sinus rhythm, atrial activation occurs via distinct sequences mediated by a complex interaction of anatomic factors. The following article is Low Voltage Potentials Contribute to Post-Operative Atrial Fibrillation Development in Obese Patients. The authors studied 106 obese patients with BMI greater than or equal to 30 kg per meter square, and 106 non-obese patients undergoing cardiac surgery. All patients underwent epicardial mapping of right atrium, Bachmann bundle, left atrium during sinus rhythm. Low voltage potentials were defined as potentials with peak-to-peak amplitude below the fifth percentile or all potential amplitudes obtained from non-obese patients. Compared with non-obese patients, obese patients have potentials with lower voltages, especially at Bachmann's bundle and left atrium. The percentage of low voltage potentials was higher in obese than in non-obese patients. BMI and low voltage potentials were independent predictors for the instance of early post-operative atrial fibrillation. The authors conclude that obesity may predispose to an overall decrease in atrial voltage and a higher percentage in low voltage potentials. Bachmann bundle 
was a prediction area for low voltage within the atria of obese patients. Up next is efficacy of castor ablation from the non-coronary aortic cusp of verapamil-sensitive atrial tachycardia arising near the atrial ventricular node. The efficacy of castor ablation from the non-coronary aortic cusp, or NCC, of verapamil-sensitive atrial tachycardia arising near the uh, AV node, or AV node AT, has yet to be fully clarified. The authors report that non-coronary aortic cusp castor ablation terminate, terminated AV node AT uh, in 14 patients, but not in 12. The direction of the slow conduction zone was posterior to the earliest atrial activation site in all NCC group patients. However, it was a posterior lateral and lateral to the earliest atrial activation site in the remaining patients, suggesting that the slow conduction zone existed in the direction of the NCC in the NCC group, but was away from the NCC in the non-NCC group. The authors conclude that a close proximity between the NCC and the slow conduction zone of the re-entrant circuit, but not a local activation time at NCC, determined the efficacy of NCC castor ablation of AV node ATs. Next up is electrophysiological characteristics of septal perforation during left bundle branch pacing. LBB pacing was attempted in 219 patients and was successful in 212 or 96.8% success rate. Septal perforation during lead deployment was identified in 30 patients or 14.1%. Peak troponin release was 188 picogram per ml. Mean unipolar impedance of less than 450 ohm for diagnosing septal perforation had a high sensitivity of 100% and a specificity of 96.6%. Current of injury amplitude reduced from 15.4 mV just before perforation to 0.9 mV after perforation. Based on morphology, unfiltered unipolar electrograms were classified into two patterns. Type 1 is QS pattern seen in 20 patients or 67% due to complete perforation and type 2 or RS pattern seen in 10 patients or 33% due to partial perforation with 80% showing capture. All 30 patients underwent successful reimplantation at a new site. No patient developed lead dislodgement during mean follow-up of 9.9 months. Although considered one of the concerns of LBB pacing, septal perforation, when recognized promptly during implantation by unipolar parameters and treated by re-implantation, would be benign and not associated with an unfavorable outcome. Up next is response of functional mitral regurgitation in non-ischemic cardiomyopathy 
to left bundle branch pacing. A total of 73 patients were divided into two groups based on the severity of functional mitral regurgitation into group 1 with mild and group 2 with significant functional mitral regurgitation. LBB pacing resulted in significant reduction in QRS duration in both groups. Percentage change and absolute change of LV ejection fraction were similar in both groups. In group 2, 31 patients, or 82%, showed significant reduction in functional mitral regurgitation severity during follow-up. The authors conclude that LBB pacing resulted in excellent electrical resynchronization with significant reduction in functional mitral regurgitation severity. In the majority of patients, there was no worsening of functional mitral regurgitation from baseline in any patient. Coming up is leadless AV synchronous pacing in an outpatient setting. Early lessons learned on factors affecting AV synchrony. 20 patients who received a leadless Medtronic Micra VDD pacemaker or Micra AV uh, Medtronic had a total of 816 hours of Holter ECG recorded and analyzed. During predominantly paced episodes of greater than or equal to 80% ventricular pacing, median AV synchrony was 91% when patients had a sinus rate of 50 to 80 beats a minute. Successful VDD pacing in the outpatient setting during higher sinus rate is more difficult to achieve then can be presumed based on initial feasibility studies. The devices often require multiple reprogramming to maximize AV sequential pacing. The next paper is subcutaneous versus transvenous implantable defibrillator in patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The authors included 2,047 patients with tri- uh, with transvenous ICD and 626 patients with subcutaneous ICD followed for an average of uh, 1,650 days and 933 days respectively. Patients with HCM and uh, transvenous ICD had a significantly higher rate of device therapy compared to those with subcutaneous ICD driven by a high instance of ATP therapy in the transvenous ICD group, which accounted for greater than 67% of therapies delivered. Shock instance was similar between groups, both in the general and the matched cohorts. The authors conclude that patients with HCM and subcutaneous ICD had a significantly lower therapy rate than patients with transvenous ICD without difference in shock therapy suggesting potentially unnecessary ATP therapy. Empirical ATP programming in patients with HCM may be unbeneficial. The following article is titled Impact of Timing of Transvenous Lead Removal on Outcomes in Infected Cardiac Implantable Electronic Devices Using a Nationally Representative All-Pair Nationwide uh, Readmissions Database. 
the authors evaluated 12,999 patients who underwent transvenous lead removal of CIED infection. Among them, 8,834, or 68%, underwent early transvenous lead removal, and 4,165, or 32%, underwent delayed transvenous lead removal. Delayed transvenous lead removal was associated with a significant increase in in-hospital mortality and higher adjusted odds of major adverse events and post-procedural length of stay than early transvenous lead removal. The authors conclude that delayed transvenous lead removal in patients with CIED infection is associated with increased in-hospital mortality and major adverse events, especially in patients with systemic infection. The next article is Preclinical Safety and Electrical Performance of Novel Atrial Leadless Pacemaker with Dual Helix Fixation. The authors report a new leadless pacemaker with a dual helix fixation mechanism specific to the RA anatomy. Leadless pacemakers were successfully implanted in 10 ovine subjects with no complications. The pacing capture threshold improved significantly over time from implant to week 12. Sensing amplitudes and pacing impedances were stable from implant to week 12. Growth pathology and microscopic histology revealed no adverse inter interactions and no evidence of device dislodgement or clinically significant myocardial perforation. The authors conclude that the novel atrial leadless pacemaker demonstrated successful implantation with accept acceptable electrical performance, mechanical stability, and safety in a 12-week preclinical study. The next article is the importance of newer cardiac magnetic resonance-based risk markers for sudden death prevention in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, an international multi-center study. The authors performed a longitudinal study of 1,149 consecutive HCM patients. European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, risk score was retrospectively analyzed with respect to the known clinical outcome. Of these patients, 162 or 14% experienced ICD therapy terminating VTVF 4.6 years after implant. CMR-based markers solely or in combination led to ICD implantation in 49 of the 162 patients or 30% experiencing device therapy. Particularly low ESC scores, that is less than 4% over five years, would have excluded an ESC ICD recommendation for 67 patients who nevertheless experienced appropriate ICD therapy, including 26 with the CMR-based risk markers, not part of the ESC formula. The authors conclude that identification and incorporation of novel guideline-supported CMR-based risk markers enhance selection of HCM patients for sudden death prevention with ICDs, 
absence of CMR-based markers from the ESC risk score accounts, in part, for it not identifying many HCM patients with sudden death events. These data support inclusion of CMR as a routine part of HCM patient evaluation and risk stratification. Coming up next is implantable defibrillator-detected heart failure status predicts atrial fibrillation occurrence. The authors evaluated the association between the values of the multi-sensor heart failure heart logic index and the incidence of atrial fibrillation and assessed the performance of the index in detecting follow-up periods of significantly increased AF risk. The heart logic feature was activated in 568 ICD patients. Mean follow-up was 25 months. The heart logic index crossed the threshold value 1,200 times. The weekly time of in-alert state was independently associated with AF burden after correction for baseline confounders. Comparison of the episode rates in the in-alert state with those in the out-of-alert state yielded hazard ratio ranging from 1.57 to 3.11 for AF burden from greater than 5 minutes to greater than 23 hours. The authors conclude that the heart logic alert state was independently associated with AF occurrence. The intervals of time defined by the algorithm as periods of increased risk of heart failure allow risk stratification of AF according to various thresholds of daily burden. Up next is a row of CACNA1C in Brugada syndrome prevalence and phenotype of probands referred for genetic testing. A total of 709 patients were included in the study. 563 consecutively referred Brugada syndrome probands underwent CACNA1C sequencing. In the discovery cohort, the authors identified 11 different rare variants in nine patients. 10 of the variants, of 5%, were considered potentially causative based on their frequency in the general population. Functional studies revealed a loss of function for nine variants, pointing to a prevalence of CACNA1C causative variants in 4% of the discovery cohort. Genotype-phenotype correlation showed that pathogenic variants are significantly more frequent in patients with shorter QTC, that is 12.9% versus 2.2% in patients QTC less than 390 milliseconds. The authors conclude that CACNA1C is an infrequent but definitive cause of Brugada syndrome typically associated with short QT. Functional studies are highly relevant to improve variant interpretation. Next up is temporal and geographic trends in women operators of electrophysiology procedures in the United States. The authors extracted data from the Medicare Provider Utilization and Payment Database, or MPUPD, 
from 2013 to 2019. The proportion of women operators was compared across the seven-year period. On average, annually, 5% or 187 of the 3,524 EP operators were women. Procedure-specific analysis demonstrated a similarly low proportion of women EP operators across each procedure type. Despite a 137% increase in the total number of AF ablationists over the seven-year period, the proportion of women remained unchanged. The number of SVT or atrial flutter ablationists and device operators remained constant over time, as did the proportion of women operators. The authors conclude that women EP operators remain underrepresented, and the proportion of women is stagnant even in areas of major clinical growth such as AF ablation. One-fifth of states had no women operators who performed greater than 10 of any given EP procedure annually. The next article is frailty in patients undergoing percutaneous left atrial appendage closure. The authors identified 21,787 patients 65 years and older in Medicare fee-for-service claims who underwent LA appendage closure, or LACC, between 2016 and 2019. 10,740, or 49%, were considered frail, including 3,441, or 15.8%, in high-risk group. After adjusting for age, sex, and comorbidities, hospital frailty risk score of greater than 15 was associated with a higher risk of long hospital stay, 30-day readmission, 30-day and one-year mortality. The authors conclude that frailty is common in patients undergoing LA appendage closure and is associated with increased risk of long hospital stay, readmissions, and short-term mortality. Up next is a patient-specific re-engineered cardiomyocyte model confirms the circumstance-dependent arrhythmia risk associated with the African-specific common SCM5A polymorphism. The P.S1103Y-SCM5A common variant, which is present in about 8% of individuals of African descent, may be a circumstance-dependent sudden cardiac death predisposing proarrhythmic polymorphism in the setting of hypoxia-induced acidosis or QT-prolonging drug use. IPSC cardiomyocytes were generated from a 14-year-old African-American male with that variant. Under baseline conditions, there was no difference in APT90 values between variant and control myocytes. In the setting of acidosis with a pH 6.9, there was a significant increase of APT90 invariant iPSC cardiomyocytes compared to control. The authors conclude that although the African-specific P.S1103Y SCM5A common variant had no effect on APT90 under baseline conditions, 
the physiological stress significantly prolonged APD90 in patient-specific re-engineered heart cells. The next paper is a non-contact whole-chamber charge density mapping of the left ventricle, preclinical evaluation in a SHIP model. The purpose of this study was to evaluate the feasibility and accuracy of non-contact whole-chamber LV charge density mapping. Electrograms recorded at sites of tissue contact were compared to nearest non-contact charge density-derived electrograms to calculate signal morphology cross-correlations and time differences. Results showed that areas under receiver operating characteristic curves, or AOCs, of charge density defined dense and the total LV scar were, nine, were 0 0.92. Morphology cross-correlation between 8,677 contact and the corresponding non-contact electrograms was 0 0.93, with a mean time difference of 2.5 milliseconds. The authors conclude that non-contact LV charge density mapping can accurately delineate ischemic scar. Charge density-derived ventricular electrograms correlate strongly with conventional contact-based electrograms. Regions with consistently slow conduction are often at the scar borders and tend to harbor localized irregular activation during ventricular fibrillation. Next up is long-term performance of novel communicating anti-tachycardia-enabled leadless pacemaker and subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator system, a comprehensive preclinical study. The authors implanted a leadless pacemaker in 68 canine subjects, and in 38 subcutaneous ICD was implanted as well. The animals were serially evaluated for 18 months. Modular cardiac rhythm management communication was successful in 1,022 of the 1,024 evaluations, or 99.8%. The mean communication threshold was stable afterward for 18 months. The main pacing capture threshold remained stable, and the impedance and R-wave amplitudes were within acceptable ranges throughout. The authors conclude that this is the first modular cardiac rhythm management system demonstrated excellent performance up to 18 months in a preclinical model. The next paper is Regional Heterogeneity in Determinants of Atrial Matrix Remodeling and Association with Atrial Fibrillation Vulnerability Post-Myocardial Infarction. Myocardial infarction was induced in pigs. At approximately 14 days post-MI, an atrial electrical stimulation protocol was performed, after which a matrix metalloproteinases radio tracer was infused. The results show that AF could be induced in 89% or 8.9% of the post-MI pigs, but none of the controls. Matrix metalloproteinases activity increased by approximately twofold in most atrial regions post-MI, where fibular collagen content was unchanged or actually reduced in right atrial regions and increased in left atrial regions. The authors conclude that the AF vulnerability early post-MI was associated with a heterogeneous pattern 
of atrial extracellular matrix remodeling, detectable by non-invasive molecular imaging. Detection of an early atrial matrix metalloproteinases activation post-MI may help define the myocardial substrate underlying AF. These original research articles are followed by three research letters. The first one is post-FDA approval real-world safety profile of different steerable sheaths during castor ablation, a Food and Drug Administration MAUDE database study. The second one is the effect of malnutrition on outcomes of patients hospitalized for implantable cardioverter defibrillator placement. The third one is unequal prescription of anticoagulants among female and males with atrial fibrillation and similar stroke risk. Should we omit sex category from the CHAS2 DS2 VASC score? These letters are followed by a creative concept paper called Bad Wetting from the Heart, which talks about nocturnal enuresis and sun deaths. I hope you enjoy this podcast for Heart Rhythm. I'm the editor in chief, Dr. Pen Shen Chen.